Key Biscayne, your evacuation route from progressive nonsense. And you know, you're trying to impose that mantra on this show. Absolutely. It's for two hours. You have the other however many hours there are. Really? So, we're still, I blink once, I said it. You, blink that's twice. Your, that's your show. You but this is it. this two hours is, is different. So here we have Lucia Saltamacchia, who is uh, a new conservative voice. She's only 24, and she is going to be here throughout the whole audience, uh, the show, responding during the first hour. And then she's going to be making her presentation. She is a YouTuber, and her uh, her show is called The Conservative Next Door. But first, we're going to have a couple of callers. See, and you wanted that to be the name of our studio. Look, she already had it. Uh, she's fine. <laughs> the conservative next door. That's fine, right? Yeah. And then, uh, we're so first we're going to have at 510 uh, a caller from the Heritage Foundation, Lindsay Burke. She's an expert on school choice. And, of course, all our audience knows that this school choice you is... You never have to speak. You never have to stop speaking. Now, yeah, Max, school choice is, is Max's favorite topic, and especially the question of parent guardianship school. So she is from Heritage Foundation, and she'll be calling in. And then after her, we will have a call from Chris, Dr. Krista Kraminski, who is... Um, uh, I met at the Keep uh, Florida Red uh, uh, event last Friday, and she is going to talk about how to raise conservative millennials. And, Mac, I know that you're an expert on that. So you, she and you have it's to compare called notes. Work them, work your kids at the age of one. All right. There you go. One. Well, like I have in a, the crib. I need, I need advice. bring elephants to the crib. I have a grandson coming in October. And he's going to be born in Manhattan. And, you know, he's going oh, to be Bolshevik, surrounded. New York. He's going to be surrounded. So I'm. I was going to give him a. Plastic. Don't let him drink from the water. Well. No, no. I, I was going to no give water a, fountains. I was going to give him a plastic uh, toy rifle, but then I realized an AR-15 is a plastic rifle. So I'll just give him an AR-15. Yeah, you know, the, uh, most of the pistols today are don't have m- much metal in them. Right, they're all. Blast, well, yeah. Well, not all, but you know, the, the frame is the frame, the yeah, handle. Yeah, yeah, the handle. Right. So, but that's that's so that, and then at, at six o'clock during the second hour. She is going to be going on about her show, making her presentation. She's going to tell us how she got to be a conservative and also how she's avoided so far being censored by YouTube. And she survived four years of college education. At FIU, yes. And you were surrounded no, by... No, but she was very successful. You, you can tell her. She was very successful, very active as a conservative and a Republican at FIU. So, you, so that means you knew Adriana Sixto when she was there? Yes, I knew her. And okay. she she works for Turning Point USA. Right, right. Yeah, we've had um, her here many times. She's been here where you are. Oh, she's great. Yep. She's awesome. Um, so and, she was the pioneer, man. She had to fight the good fight early on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, so and she stay worked, by the Victorian and whatever she was. Yep, I think cum laude or summa cum laude or something. Magna or something. Incredibly intelligent. And now she works for Turning Point USA. I became an ambassador. And just this weekend, we were at uh, Arizona. Also, oh, you traveled retreat. with them and everything. I traveled with them, and it was awesome because uh, we went to the the Cowtown shooting range. Oh, right. And yeah. so all the influencers were there. I got to shoot AR-15. I mean, just awesome. There great, you go. Great. She shot an AR-15. I have a shotgun, 12-gauge. It's a big kickback. Yeah. But women don't like it. But Yeah. No. We got to go shooting. We got to go to the shooting range. Yeah, I felt so encouraged. Absolutely. I felt incredibly encouraged and empowered, like, wow. I so, can do so this. So you think like a 12-year-old kid in Manhattan can be shooting an AR-15 
because it's not. It's and not heavy. Second Amendment is there for a reason. Yeah. Right. With it's, the with it's the correct instructions. Deer, it's to well, on this show, we insist that the only reason why we're the last democracy on earth and a Republican democracy at that is because we are armed to the teeth. Right. Right. It's right. that simple. The minute they take your weapons away, you know what's coming. The food lines, of course, conservatives oh. are su- are serving during these food lines, but you basically lose your rights. So long as the military knows that there's going to be a terrible fight going on, then yep. you stay free. Otherwise, institutions are yep. they're yep. sterile, unemotional, and people always say the government should do. The government no, should. No, no, government no. should what? Their government is a bunch of people who don't take financial risk, With our who money. are looking for a pension, and we need them in the sense that we need them to be kind of an underachiever to work for the government, but don't tell me they have emotions. They don't. They just want to keep their jobs. Right. Okay, right. so our first call will be? Lindsay Burke from Heritage Foundation, I think. This is WSQF 94.5. You're on the Concrete Conservative Show. I'm yours truly, Mac, with Ed Vidal and some guests that we'll introduce uh, later. Who do I have the pleasure to speak with? I think we lost the call. Call oh, again. No, that might have been my fault. I'm not sure if I pressed the button you wrong. Press the button wrong. Can you can you hit uh, call back the the caller that came in? If you were my secretary, I'd have you do that. In the oh, meantime, I'm okay. just going to wait for them to call really, back. Secretaries are so last century, Mac. No, man, come on with America great again. Everything's possible. Okay. Remember, artificial intelligence is le- is eliminating a lot of jobs. Absolutely. One of them might be secretary, so don't. You know. Yeah, it's already happened. <laughs> so all right, well. well, well I a, want to know if there's going to do an artificial intelligence for the postman. Who's going to deliver my mail? Some machine? There's no <gasps> snail mail being delivered. Think about hardly. that. I love getting mail. I don't. I get, I get so, so you excited. Tell, you, can sell, you can see how young she is. When you get to our age, <laughs> the last bills. thing you want is a mail. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. You, you Believe me, you're going to hate mail one day. Okay? I'm an old soul. I'm like, man, I wish someone wrote me a letter. You That's know? the thing. Your generation <laughs> doesn't write letters. letters no one, no right. one writes me my letters. Wife, my wife and her college roommate have a correspondence, uh, and uh, there it goes back over forty years. And I told her when you know the she when she should uh, publish them sometime. Mm. It'd be really unique. Okay, letters. we're going to do the drill again. This is WSQF, the Concrete Conservative, ninety-four point five Blink Radio, Kibiskane. I'm yours truly, Mac, and this is Ed Vidal as my co-host, executive producer extraordinaire. Who do I have the pleasure to speak with? World famous. This is John Delumi. How are you guys doing today? I'm excited to dial in here with Chia and Doc Krista today. Oh, wow. Oh, this is the, John. The, John, thank you very much for organizing that Keep uh, Florida Red last week. That was great. You did a great job. And we have, you're right, we have Krista calling in, and uh, we, ha- we have Lucia right here. But if you don't mind, we have, we're expecting a call from the school choice expert at the Heritage Foundation. You bet. Lucia will be taking over the second hour. Now, if there's any work, the concrete conservative, if you see any cracks in our armor, it's Ed, not me, okay? (laughs) All right, good. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much for your support. You can always live stream us on wsqfradio.com forward slash live. And we won't be taking any callers today, but just a caller that calls in, but we are toll-free 1-844-645-9773, which is WSQF, 
And then locally, we're at 305-365, better than a taxi, 7777. How about that? Come on, Ed. You're just not cool for school. I am not. I'm an old crotchety old man. You, uh, Ed's the micromudge, and we can do Facebook Live here because it's like this all the time. Yeah, really. Yeah, and I, I'm the old in GOP. <laughs> yeah, Grand and guess what? Party, yeah. yeah, and I wrote a book <laughs> specifically to delete the old in Grand Old no. Party. <gasps> yes, no. to invite you all to come to our party, and I'm gonna. It hasn't kept her away. It hasn't here, kept right. me away, actually. Okay. I love using GOP. Grand Absolutely. Old party. Okay. Well, yeah. guess what? Imagine we were the Grand Party. No. We'll still say we'll still say we're Republicans. That's not changing because Republic Republicans, we've always stood for good stuff. We've lacked ideas. Therefore, I need to exist because you know we don't have really good ideas. So the truth is that if we were to propose it to delete the old the grand old party, we'll actually put the Ed Vidal's to sleep, right? Because now they're going to feel like I can't go anywhere because I can't become a Democrat all of a sudden. Wait, our our guest says she's get that she's getting a busy signal so why don't you get that oh that's because the other gentleman was calling you're here on the concrete conservative wsqf 94.5 in blink radio key biscayne i'm yours truly mac on the rock and i have the marvelous ed vidal with me and other special guests the future who do i have the pleasure to speak with hi this is lindsey burke at heritage how are you thank you very much for your support and thank you for calling it's my understanding that you are Pretty uh, avid uh, supporter of school choice, as I as I am. Um, Ed's got some uh, he's got some disclaimers on my uh, that I have to refrain myself and hear you out entirely before I give you an opinion. So, yeah, Lindsay, this is Ed Bedell. Thank you for calling. Uh, we're we are in this show very much supportive of school choice, but uh, Mac in particular is focused on the parent guardianship schools, where parent can trigger, in effect, a takeover of a public school. Only Florida has it, and I like to discuss it. Well, at, California at has something similar, yeah, California but has right. something similar, and you know, in California in particular, it's been. Now, is that petition-based or direct ballot? So that is, I think, petition-based. Therefore, it's not the same. Okay. Uh, My first sounding of the alarm is simple. Petition-based parent trigger laws is the biggest waste of of legislation in in our nation's history. It actually causes more chaos than it actually is worth. So what happens is this. I believe the parent revolution was behind it. And the parent revolution has Bill Gates all over it, who, as you know, brought us Common Core, which was a total disaster. Oh, yeah. The problem with petition-based parent trigger laws is you are exposing the parent to support of a charter school that may not, the petition may not win. And now they're on paper. And therefore, guess what? They end up going to court saying, remove me from the petition because the leaders aren't very good because they run out of enthusiasm, can't keep on knocking on doors. They are uh, censored like I was from the... I was PTA president when I did it, but at least I was successful at creating... You're in Key Biscayne, right? Yes. And petition-based laws are a waste of time, basically. And I think that we have seven states that have petition-based laws, and I was waiting for you all to say that. Florida's is the only direct ballot that just needs an amendment, because I uh, really suffered a lot of pain and anguish to the point where it motivated me to build a radio station to get my freedom of speech back, so I had to buy it back. But what this law 
can do here in the state of Florida is get amended, and I've been working on that since 2013. I would love for the Heritage Foundation to delve into my experience. It's on a website called the Parent Guardianship School. where yeah, I center aim- that. Yeah, where I aim to uh, remove charter from the law's language because this is much better than charter because you're not paying rent. Yeah, Lindsay, the, uh, uh, Mac had the uh, fire to trigger here in Florida. The problem is that the statute in Florida requires the approval of both the teachers in the school and the parents. In separate ballots. In sep- yeah, voting separately. So, so the teachers are very hard. Of course, you got the, the, the school district working against you. you got the teachers that are very hard to convince. The union, uh, as you know, puts a lot of pressure. And then in the case of the parents... Uh, Key Biscayne has a lot of parents who are lawful residents, but not Americans in the sense of freedom-loving, self-ruling, and so they wimped out, and so Mac uh, struck out with all three. Okay. Um, let me give you a, a simple narrative, unless you're going to ask... Uh, are you going to uh, ask... Are you Ms. still Bur- there? Yeah, 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 I'm still here. Yep, okay. Now, of course, you're a little taken aback by the fact that there's a really big difference between direct ballot and petition-based parent trigger? Unfortunately, in Florida, the law was passed because Lawton Child stole it from Jeb Bush when he beat him the first time. And in doing so, he passed it the leftist kind of way, which is to separate the ballots. So I had parents voting in one ballot box. I had teachers voting in another. Yeah, well, that's to give the teachers unions Time out. a veto. Time out. This is a long, drawn-out yep. thing that can't be interrupted. Okay. What happens is this. When the parents are in a block voting, fine, and the law is called Florida's Parent Empowerment Law, it should be empowering parents. This law, the way it's written, it's a teacher empowerment law because they have veto power because you have to win both elections. Now, if you're a parent like I was, I wanted to elevate the ground game or the campaign. I ran for PTA president before I fired the trigger letter, and I did not involve the PTA from a board standpoint. So I didn't mitigate, I didn't, uh, I didn't, um, pretty much I didn't present it to the village yeah. other, than, uh, other than the announcing that I was this person and I campaigned on it with the microphone in my hand saying, look, I wanted to knock down a building that was contaminated. So I wanted parents to be the guardians of the school budget in order to save surpluses. In our case, we were... Uh, going on our 58th year of an overcrowded school that sat below sea level. You know that the law, the FEMA laws doesn't permit government buildings to be renovated on barrier islands after Hurricane Katrina. So my situation is very different than what most people want school choice for. And I think my idea is not only bigger, stronger, and better, but it's on the right side of a much larger box. Okay, so it's a really fabulous idea that needs to spread to the other 49 states. But it has to be amended in Florida so that the teachers either join us in a larger uh, plebiscite 
or they're excluded entirely as the courts have identified them as not stakeholders as they were perceived to be before this uh, legal case. So if they're not stakeholders because they're employees, the reason why they're not stakeholders at a federal court in the Fernandez-Cristobal case of the uh, Nevakin-Cooper principles, which you would see on my website, they lost their freedom of speech rights and they were actually taken out of the school for even attempting to talk about it. And that's what fired me up to do it one year later. This was 2012. I, my experience was 2013. They were a special needs school that were being cut funding. So they said, let's convert to charter, save our surpluses, and get f- direct funding. This is what's beautiful about Florida's law. Direct funding from Florida's Department of Education, cutting out the superintendent and not paying him rent for the buildings you just took back. And, that's, and it, you know, something that you just brought up is such a good illustration of one of the broader problems that we've had in K-12 policy in recent years. So, you know, beyond just the discussion of the, um, the governorship schools and paratrader laws generally is, if you look at districts across the country, the level of non-teaching administrative bloat in so many school districts across the country really is sort of siphoning resources away from the classroom. And so what you just mentioned about that direct revenue source uh, to the charter option is something that does provide charters with more autonomy to actually you know, figure out how they're going to use the resources that they have, figure out what their best personnel structure is, and so that's another, I would say, just ancillary benefit. Yes. Overall push. Okay. Now, look at what's even more beautiful. As the teachers vote yay or nay with you, if the law were amended and they were voted as a plebiscite, as a part of the larger audience of the community of parents, not only do you get to keep the surpluses, but they get to keep their pension. They stay Florida public school teachers. In other words, they're free to leave after they say they don't like the parents or they don't like the charter conversion idea, which forgive me for saying charter conversion, but I have to at this point because that's in the law. I like to change the word charter conversion because I believe it's parent guardianship because you don't pay rent. You know, in the in the generic common charter school operation, the parents uh, who realize their kids are falling behind academically, they get together, usually in groups of five or seven, then they go apply for the application, wait mm-hmm. some time to get approved. Then they approach a developer, and the developer has to be willing to uh, take the risk of building a school for five grades, seven grades, eight grades, or all K through 12 grades, have to build it in an area where he, they have to buy the land, or in some cases, they get lucky and they can like rent a, uh, an old shopping center or a building that's in a, a new use. But what happens is, They are paying rent to this developer who basically tells them what type of school they're limited to getting. In other words, if it's an audiovisual language arts school, that's going to be costly, you know, because you have to build sound stages, uh, an auditorium that it's also a live stage for symphonies or dramas, lights, the whole lights, camera, action thing, which the reason why I say this is because the next school that used our legal precedent in 2013 was the Rolette Elementary School that's also on the website. And they successfully uh, converted the school. Look how beautiful this story is. So if you can like close your eyes and imagine this across the nation. Uh, I, I love the story because they actually did it. The, parent, the parents and the teachers got together because of the cutting and the funding. Uh, this is in Manatee County. So it's Rolette Elementary. And guess what they did? They bought a middle school within three years with the surpluses. Now they have Roulette Elementary and Roulette Middle. And they're, they are the like the leading actors and actresses. These little tiny people are 
so good that they have uh, like uh, an art festival where the kids act on a three-day weekend, and they all come out of roulette middle and elementary school. That's how powerful this thing is to them. And in, and in Manatee County, the district sold them the schools because they were dilapidated, and they poked out the windows, put in new carpet, new paint, and now they have a string of schools, and now you can see what's coming next. Saves the surplus. Corporate sponsors now are impressed with parents saving surpluses. I, I imagine that that Heritage should be calling Roulette right away and say, hey, what about your textbooks? You know, now that you've got these surplus, maybe you can get rid of the old textbook and bring in new textbooks. And before you know it, these people are going to get a high school as well. So if you can imagine that stretching into Georgia, Alabama, throughout the South, into the West, into the Bolshevik states of the Northeast, and we're talking about the reinvention of the public school system, and we no longer have to talk about incrementalism or reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a good illustration, too, of, you know, when we sort of push government out of the way and make space for civil society to reemerge, the little sort of parent platoons, uh, to borrow a phrase, that, that emerge, it's, it's quite clear that when you actually provide some of that flexibility that we see the responsiveness uh, within local communities. Uh, I think... Uh, I think I think you're right on the money there. Now, is Heritage prepared to, um, like, embrace something so fabulous as a direct ballot parent trigger? So most of our work is on federal policy, so that's my primary focus. Oh, so get rid of the Department of Education, <laughs> which I'm for, I'm for as well. Yeah, right. So how do we think about actually starting to reduce federal intervention in education at all levels? So that would be pre-K, K-12, higher ed, and do just that makes for private providers to emerge at the state local level to uh, put parents in power over the resources that are spent locally and at the state level. But a lot of this really is a federal state choreography where we need the federal government to step aside in a lot of these areas in order to enable states to really step up and localities in particular and really drive what is, is taught locally, drive what providers are there locally in order to actually be responsive to parent needs and what the community wants. But a lot of this really is conditioned on getting the federal government to the largest extent possible out of K-12 education in particular is where I would start. So, but you know, we, we have a lot to push back on right now. We have more than 50, we've got about 55 years of really intense federal intervention in education. That would be from Head Start to K-12 to higher ed. We are living with the legacy of President Johnson's Great Society programs, which were not so great when it came to education. He promulgated the Federal Head Start program, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which today is still the largest federal education law. We do it better as No Child Left Behind a few years ago. And he signed into law the Higher Education Act, which was really the uh, basis for all of the federal student loans and grants that are out there today. And today we're at a point where the federal government originates and services 90% of all student loans that are out there. So when students default or when there is ever more generous loan forgiveness programs put into place, that means since the federal government manages those programs, that cost is borne by taxpayers. So we have problems from you know, grade school all the way through grad school much of which I would argue is the genesis of this significant federal intervention that we saw first really propagated in 1965. Now, uh, 
That sounds like a, a, a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, a, a toxic loan situation where the government just absorbs everybody's student loans. And now you have candidates offering to basically forgive all student loans. So you can see kids now dropping out of school because they're not paying for it. So they're, they're just dropping classes and, oh, I don't feel like taking this class. You know, what the hell? I'm not paying for it. So, you know, and people don't want to realize the negative affects of having a free education is that the kid studies less. They're not that fired up. Yeah, that's right. When you are not directly responsible for bearing the cost of your decision, and I would say that is the case today with our federal student loan program, you certainly make decisions that are different than what you might make if you're paying directly for something. Like It's just like the car that dad paid for. You crash it. You yeah, know? <laughs> that's right. And so, you know, if we think about crashing, I mean, we've got about 60% of students who are crashing out of higher ed uh, within that four-year period. We know that the four-year graduation rate is only about 40%. And so I, I think the way you talk about it just now is really right on the money that, you know, you have easy access to federal student aid, to federal student loans and grants. You get it for the most part virtually with no credit check. Uh, federal government generally does not consider your ability to repay. And so you can take out loans up to the cost of attendance <laughs> at a university, which can be extremely high. And, you know, most students when they're 18, 19, 20 are not thinking long-term about repaying that. And, you know, you also have things like the Parent Plus Loan Program where parents take out for their undergrad child's college education. And so now we're in a situation where baby boomers who are entering retirement are entering retirement with student loan debt. I mean, Unreal. It's created this vicious lending and spending cycle, federal involvement in student loans, and has really only exacerbated the college cost problem. Yeah, we're not even we're not even going to the uh, to the narrative of how they're getting liberal arts degrees. What kind of job are you going to get? Well, with some that? of these guys are not even graduating. That's the worst situation. Well, we, worse is actually completing the four well, years and a, a degree that degree, doesn't give you any right. skills to get a job. Yep. Okay. So uh, now going back to the, the 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 direct ballot. First of all, there's one question for you on the at the university level, do you feel that over time, if the government got out of school funding, period, that the universities who are in lockstep and, and barrel with the federal government, they, their tuitions would go down because they're not getting free money. They, yes, they could absolutely. care less if the kid graduates or not. They're going to get the money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is the thing. My uh, friend Richard Vetter, who is an economist at the University right. of Ohio, the way he talks about it, I think, is completely accurate. He says... The federal government is basically dumping money out of airplanes onto universities. And so, of course, universities will capture that money and not rein in costs. There was a report that came out about two years ago now from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and they found that for every dollar in subsidized student loans from the federal government, universities increased their tuition 60 cents. Bingo. Universities are capturing 60 cents on the dollar of all of these federal subsidies. And, you know, you, you have all of these sort of downstream effects as well. Universities building new buildings, or maybe it's a lazy river or a tiger grotto. So there's this non-academic arms race that's happening at the same time, much of which I would argue is the result of large-ass and federal spending. And do you think some of this money is also somehow mysteriously ending up in tenured programs for professors to guarantee? Well, it's ending up in some uh, university presidents earning 2 or $3 million a year. This is true, too. Yep. Now, uh, in our case, back at back in the, 
all politics are being locals. What's really cool about this idea of changing the law so that the teachers uh, can't veto the parents, because, you know, that's, that's a North Korea-type law. It's a closed society law when teachers can veto. In our case, the teachers scared the dickens out of our parents, who were mostly, uh, you know, legal immigrants who were paying the, the lion's share of the taxes out here, because our city, I don't know if you you recalled Nixon's winter White House, Key Biscayne, correct? Okay, well, Nixon, when he was president, he hung out here in Key Biscayne, and we grew up here knowing he was here, and he, when he would come, it was a lot of fun, fanfare, although I came three years later in 75, but this was back in 72. Anyway, our community is now is completely metropolitan, it's uh, cosmopolitan and international, where wealthy people have moved here because of the chaos in their countries, but you, they're not homesteaded, so their property taxes are triple what us American citizens are or legal residents. So what happens is the socialism still exists because half of the school district real estate taxes or half of the real estate taxes goes to school district. You realize that we are a donor county. Dade County donates to Tallahassee who just redistributes this, these taxes to the smaller counties that are basically one high school, two high school, like Jefferson County, complete win charter, all three schools in the county win charter to mitigate the grotesque amount of crime that was occurring in all three schools. And now the kids can be expelled and not return to the school if they were violent. And that, they, that could not happen as a district-run school, but it could happen as a charter uh, uh, governing school. There they didn't have to pass ballot or anything. They just The school board just handed the three schools, because it was a small county, uh, the elementary, the middle, and the high school, to Academica, who uh, strong-armed uh, the kids into thinking, look, you're going to be competitive, and if you can't behave... Uh, we're, we're going to kick you out. And sure enough, there was a brawl that broke out in the high school over problems that were occurring in the middle school that gravitated to high school when the kids got older. Apparently, there was a like a gang thing going on. And it, uh, two, of the, two of the four kids that were most to blame were expelled from the school. And one ended up committing crimes on the street as an expelled student. And now he wants to come back to the school. So you're always going to have these problems. But I sorry I got off on a rabbit hole here. To come back to this, the the ballot uh, governing school act, which I call it the governing school act, parent guardianship school under the governing school act. And I've been really working really hard. Um, you know, I have personal relationships with the last two governors, and I'm kind of disappointed at the slow pace of things. But be it be as it may, what's beautiful about this idea, which I think the heritage would uh, really love, was when you say your surpluses. You can see that school bonds will be reduced in the larger school districts because so many schools that have taken themselves back are now renovating from inside the school with the surpluses, new cafeterias, expanding school, mitigating overcrowding. And today's district school system, these bloated $1 billion school bonds can be cut in half if all the affluent communities take back their schools and build them within with these surpluses. And of course, the, the counties don't want that because... Uh, for instance, we had a million eighty-three thousand surplus here in our school, and our school was one hundred and forty-eight percent of capacity. So we were overcrowded for decades. Okay, and that money was never coming back to the school until we incorporated in nineteen ninety-one. As a city, they gave us two buildings that were elevated above, you know, the floodplains. But the dilapidated school stayed, the one from the fifties, and that's the one I wanted to knock down. Well, because they renovated for two million dollars. Instead of the $7 million I had negotiated on my own, guess what? Cancer broke out. Five teachers with breast cancer, 
three or four parents that I know of, I believe there's more, but I don't know their names, so I really can't say, but I know of three. One has already passed away. She was in her late 30s. And that's because of the school renovation. Asbestos? Yeah, okay. Okay, and then what's really sad about asbestos cancer is that it attacks the lungs, not the breasts, and all these cancers were breast cancers. And the and the cancers look differently under the microscope, so I can't pin it. I can't blame it. I can't do anything about unless a pathologist somehow can correlate the two, and I don't think that's the case scientifically. So we have a massive issue going on nationwide about asbestos in our public schools, and only parents as parent guardians can demand these buildings be knocked down and build anew. And every law that was possibly broken here, and I can't say really broken because I'm sure that FEMA gave Miami-Dade public school system a waiver to renovate that school, but it was sitting below sea level. And the year it was renovated, I sat out there in a rainstorm and watched it flood again. I mean, you couldn't even see the sidewalks. And there's a, a video, just say, just put K, Kibiskane K8 Center flooding. You'll see me in my car with the windshield wipers and a, a lady crossing the street knee high in water. So I say, ma'am, you should have come with a bikini. <laughs> and that's got, uh, had 50,000 hits in the first year, that video. So it's this thing where I don't know what to do other than hope to God that people larger than myself, because I don't want to join a parent guardianship school, I mean, uh, school choice group, because I don't want to, want to be part of a, uh, a special interest situation, because that's a way of blocking me. But Republicans have kept me from testifying for four straight legislative sessions to tell my story of my daughter being abused by a teacher in the fifth grade. And she took it on the chin. And I was able to share in Tallahassee in 2013 her testimony of being abused. She wrote, it's in my wallet. I carry, it's, you know, I'm, like I told you, it's really personal to me. And now she's a six-foot-tall athletic, you know, rower, and she's graduating from the Magnus School that was also part of this uh, this campaign, which was to leverage a developer's contribution to build a high school and knock down that school at the K-8 Center. So everybody kind of understood that my my situation was successful, even though I really took it on the chin because they demanded I resign. Imagine 105 parents stormed the cafeteria demanding the PTA resign for daring to fire a trigger letter, a direct ballot trigger letter. How about them apples? For Is that heritage or what? Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear about your experience. That's really terrible. But I, I do think overall, I mean, all of this just illustrates the need to really make sure that parents and local communities are driving school policy and not distant policymakers at the federal level, certainly, but even at the state level as well. The, the, you know, as much as we can do to get this, these decisions concentrated locally, whether that's about school buildings or school safety, myriad other issues, content, curricula, the, as much as we can get that situated locally, the better we will be. And, you know, we come at this certainly from a sort of, you know, any way, any window through which you can get into the, the house that enables families to have more control. Well, this is it. A good way to get Call the vote. Yeah, all of the above. So whether that is something like, uh, you know, parent trigger guardianship school situation or more expansive education choice options. We do a lot of work on education savings accounts, which Florida is actually one of just five states to, to have, so it's really been a leader on that. So, you know, definitely all of the above to move away from government management of education and toward community and family management is a good policy in the right direction. Now, uh, going back to the federal level, if 
public school is not mentioned in the Constitution whatsoever, why hasn't there been a legal case uh, sponsored or created, or why isn't there a lawsuit filing that the Department of Education is unconstitutional, especially at the cabinet level, simply because money towards curriculum is unconstitutional, it's not mandated in the Constitution, and therefore there should be a legal case presented in court all the way up to the Supreme Court where block grants must be for buildings only. Therefore, it's public infrastructure, which it's equal yeah, to it's highways. Federal, so, well. well, it's public infrastructure because the interstate people... Interstate commerce? You say education is part of interstate commerce? If it's for buildings, not curriculum. If it's for buildings, then she said it... Uh, you know, you said it earlier in your comments, uh, school safety, safety in roads, roads and safety, safety in buildings. Hell, the, the PTA was founded in, in 1853 on schoolhouse safety because back in those days, there were wood buildings, mm-hmm. and PTA was formed to keep the buildings from that's, being burnt down. That's a state and yeah. local government uh, issue. Okay, but the block grants go to the state capitals for public infrastructure, which cut are em, school buildings. Cut them. Fed government spending too much. Exactly. That's absolutely correct. So this is a bigger question about how did we get to the place where we are today. You know, a lot of that is what I mentioned earlier, where you had, you know, 1965, the War on Poverty, the Great Society programs, really being that um, sort of entryway into significant federal intervention. But what is uh, interesting about that year is prior to 65, there was some federal intervention in education, but it was extremely limited. And it was basically limited to things that had some sort of national security prerogative. And that was the case after the first and second Sputnik launches, that that was the hook for some federal investment. But what we saw in 65 was a shift away from that fight, that fight with the Soviets abroad, to this war on poverty at home, you know, advanced by the Johnson administration. It failed, ultimately, uh, but advanced by the Johnson administration. So... You're right. <laughs> Education's nowhere in the Constitution, but we've gotten to the point where the federal government's very much ingrained. So how do you start to extricate the federal government from that involvement? There haven't been, to my knowledge, legal challenges. There have been proposals put forward simply to abolish the Department of Education. Thomas Massey uh, has a proposal to do that. I do think that you need to go a step further and actually tackle the programs that are overseen by the agency. Um, so. You know, there have been proposals out there to do that, and I think on, on balance we have a lot of evidence now to suggest that federal involvement has provided uh, little, if any, probably no uh, major benefit to ed policy over the past half century. Now, does the federal government, where do they really extract in the federal budget, where do they extract the money that goes to schooling for No Child Left Behind? Where is that money original, originated from? Can it, can't the legal case... Uh, be tried based on its source? Well, I mean, it's all your money. It's all local taxpayers. So it's general fund. Basically. Right, but, right. So it's all local money that's derived from individual taxpayers. It gets filtered up through the state and to the federal government. And the Department of Ed oversees about a $70 billion annual discretionary budget, but of course far more than that when we factor in things like student loans and grants, which are over $150 billion a year in federal subsidies. But if you just look at the war on poverty programs from 65 forward at the K-12 level, we've spent, taxpayers have spent $2 trillion. 
remember that's important is that that's a huge number, $2 trillion, and yet that only represents 8.5% of overall K-12 spending. So that's just the federal portion of it. State and local taxpayers pay 90-plus percent of all of the revenue to support education across the country. And yet, even though the federal government's just a 8.5% stakeholder, the rules and regulations and red tape that it hands down to states and localities far, far exceeds that 8.5% share. So there's a huge sort of misalignment there. Yeah, not only that, but there, uh, there, isn't, uh, there isn't a value or economies of scale as some districts are all overcrowded and other districts are not. And that there's, you know, here we have the home rule, the home rule charter in Florida where Dade County has to donate, I believe, uh, Broward as well as Monroe, all are donor counties. I imagine other states had those situations where when the, when the state was uh, first became a state, there was only one or two counties at the time, therefore they became donor counties. Isn't there an angle legally uh, in regards to maybe these cases should come out of these larger districts that they're they're basically being pillaged. Uh, in other words, they're they're spending more federal dollars that aren't returning back to their schools at the state level. So it's kind of like a convoluted argument. What I mean, I, I, I certainly the heritage can look into that. Uh, how is it that we can get like uh, Congressman Massey? I don't know if he's going at it in the right in the right manner because. In the end, the only way to defeat the present school system is to cut its funding sources. And therefore, who's left? Parents. So yeah, if you give. There, there is definitely an argument that it probably costs some districts and states more to accept a, quote, federal dollar than they actually get from accepting that federal dollar. So, you know, that's something that it would be uh, highly worthwhile to look into. And folks have looked into that over the years. The General Accountability Office. Yeah, on my website there is a there is a, a graph that shows the the gross the size of the bureaucracy surrounding public school. That's the only thing that's grown, not the staff of teachers. That's also true in the colleges and universities, as Richard Vetter has uh, chronicled. Uh, there, all, all education is growing. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the bureaucracy. One of the experiences that was really comforting was uh, the law says that I have to be present to discuss voting guidelines that are already in the law, but how I'm, I'm allowed to be present with the school administrators on how the wording of the ballot will be. They didn't, they didn't let me participate in that, but at least I got to attend the meeting. They just looked at me with dumb eyes. But what was really cool about the experience was what Governor Scott had done the year previous to Superintendent Carvalho. He cut, I believe, $500 million from his budget for the public school system, and he gutted the bureaucracy because I, it was, there was nothing more joyous to be up in that yeah. school building and open up the elevator and see a bunch of empty seats, floor the whole floor yeah. empty. Yeah. So I attended a room that had missing chairs yeah. in it. I filled one of them, and guess what? He gave them back two fifty uh, after he showed that he could run his district without the five hundred you know, million. Lindsay, part of the problem. This is Ed Vidal. I, I raised my children in Scarsdale, New York, and there we had a small school district. 17,000 residents in the town. And I think one of the problems in Florida 
is that the school districts are defined by county. So in some cases, they're small, sparsely populated counties with three schools. But then you have Dade County is the fourth largest uh, school district in the country, and Broward is number six. So it's like you're back in the Chicago School District, New York City School District. Again, it's a huge bureaucracy. There's no competition. Uh, for example, here in Dade, if you were in Westchester County, New York, there would be competition between the different suburbs to have good schools like, you know, Scarsdale, Rye, uh, whatever. In other words, you're saying your cities. The cities, when you have smaller school districts. You have cities managing like, the school districts. Right. Then you have, uh, then they compete because they want people to come and live there and buy a house in Scarsdale or in Rye or in Larchmont. Uh, or Mount Vernon. So there's more competition. But here in Florida, the whole state, the whole county is one school district. So, for example, uh, Coral Gables cannot compete with South Miami, cannot compete with Key Biscayne, cannot compete with Aventura well, for a if, good school district. Well, unless they do what they have done, which is lure the county into doing joint ventures. Well, that, but you have to lure them instead of having your own exactly, school Exactly, and that was the case with the Mass Academy in Virginia Key, we, as a result of uh, um, my efforts, I strangled them and I put them in a position with a developer's donation that either they use it for school or I appeal the developer's project. And the developer was all in. He says, oh, we're agnostic yeah. to how this money is spent. So it forced the village of Kibiskana as a municipality to write a $24 million loan, of which $9 million was a down payment from the developer, to build the high school. But then the Kate Center... Was. Yeah, but see, that's where you have local uh, cities within the county getting involved in education. On the other hand, look at Broward County. It's the sixth largest. Our city's school- not involved in Mass no, Academy. I, I know. Broward County is the sixth largest school district in the country. So you're living in, in semi-suburban you know, parkland, uh, Pembroke Pines. It's like a suburb, and yet you don't control your school district. And that's, that's why they had the shooting in Parkland, because... The, they were part of an, what was, in effect, an urban school district. It says if you were living in Scarsdale, and yet you had to send your kids to the New York City public schools. Well, the biggest the biggest issue in Broward is uh, as people fled the city of Fort Lauderdale, right. their schools were empty, and yet Weston, Parkland, and those sure, schools were that's full. Where people were leaving. But, and yet the same school district controlled the whole county. Absolutely. You could not flee the school district by moving from Fort Lauderdale to Pembroke Pines. Now, did uh, is does anybody uh, at Heritage? Are you a group, or is it you by yourself as school choice person, or is there? Do you guys meet in in groups or do focus groups within Heritage? Yeah, so Heritage is a large organization, uh, and we do basically every policy issue area you could think of. Um, you know, foreign policy and domestic. We're part of a domestic policy team that looks at issues that range from issues of the family, and we're actually in an institute called the Institute for Family and Community and Opportunity, and we work to advance policies that really put the family at the center uh, of their their children's lives, and so part of that uh, is our work on education choice, and so our team, uh, our Center for Education Policy, works on education choice options, but we also work on uh, general reforms at the K-12 level and uh, early childhood education, we work on higher education issues that I mentioned before, and then uh, largely federal issues. So you think it's uh, it'd be nice, just to please me, not necessarily Ed, 
to, to discuss with your group that there is a direct ballot parent trigger law in Florida, and our state is the only one. Yeah, if we could work with your group to see if we could uh, advance some reform in that, or if you have Or some if ideas. I can give a presentation to the group and let them know what it's like to get bludgeoned and have your freedom of speech eliminated, and uh, it was really sad to watch. I wasn't even allowed to go into the school as PTA president and discuss the merits. Yeah, and also his daughter was harassed by the teachers, and I've seen that in other places, Okay, but because the, his father was supporting this takeover. Okay, with the, uh, the, the, the Monday they had me resign with, with only like, uh, what, maybe 8 or 9% of the total PTA membership, because they literally handpicked who they invited to this meeting, people that really were angst against me. And I'm sitting there in this cafeteria, right? So I, they, I said, look, you cannot make me resign. I refuse to resign. I, since I'm also uh, chairman of the executive committee, how could this, midi, this committee hold a meeting without me present to demand that I resign? Uh, and this invitation went out to everybody to have me rescind, which is also on the website. You can see it there. So anyway, they take this vote. Ten people at least had some integrity and said, don't you see this guy? He, he grew up here. He, he graduated from there. Uh, he wants to save our kids, and you guys are going to vote him out for a school that's contaminated? I went to the school, too. So guess what? Ten people leave, but guess what the vote was? 89 to 3. And three of the three, two of them were sisters who voted to keep me in there. So I lose 89 to 3. Uh, about midnight, I hand in my resignation, my resignation through, I realized they were trying to get me to sue them, and I didn't have the legal bill, the legal desire to sue the PTA when I was suing the superintendent already because the election was going to happen no matter what, whether I was president or not. Well, guess what happens the following Thursday? They hold a huge panel called the Parent Forum, and I'm the heckler in the back. I'm not on the panel, and I'm the one who fired the trigger letter. So if I could just tell that story to the uh, people uh, in, at, at Heritage, and I'm willing to fly up there as I was willing to fly to Tallahassee and realize that there's a huge a war chest of charter school developers who are fighting this as well. And guess what? The irony of all ironies, my brother is a charter school developer, my older brother, who's not very happy with me. And my father passed away in that year. I fired the trigger letter. My father happened to pass away that same year watching all this thing happen. Two brothers not really talking. And it was infuriating. That's why I knew so much about charter because I knew the, the dynamics of the funding and I realize how risky it is for charter school developers to build schools and guess what you don't when you build a school with five or six grades like they say you're building a k through six you're building all six grades you're building that massive of a building but the state's only funding you kindergarten then the next year they're funding kindergarten and first and then the next year kindergarten first second and third while you're on temporary uh what would you call that um What's it called uh, when you are uh, when you just get hired and you're on a temporary employment? Um, really, for the teachers? Yeah, no, for the funding of the charter school, you're on probation. On probation. Okay. So your first three years is probationary, and then your next five is an, a five-year deal, and that's conditional. And then you get the Mac Daddy, which is 15 years. Once you're into the 15-year zone, obviously you're going to get 15, 15, 15. But the charter schools, many of them don't make it to the 15. Right. And guess what? When parents object to school choice. They say, oh, but they go out of business. I go, yeah, your school district has been out of business, and they stay open for a right. long time. Because they get our tax really dollars. interesting point, too. If you look at Arizona, uh, we have evidence of the, the same phenomenon happening there. So charter schools get 15-year charter authorizations in that state, but the charter schools that go out of business do so on average after just four years. Right. And so that means that parents are putting forward a 
ever get around to closing them down. So uh, I totally agree. I mean, to your point, parents are doing a really, really good job at putting those schools out of business that aren't meeting their needs, and that is a feature and not a bug. The fact that you can close down an underperforming charter school is, is a feature. Absolutely, and you so can't like do that with a district school. That. Yeah, you can't close down a district school. They just keep on... Graduating people that are not ready As for four Ronald years Reagan of college. says, there's nothing more eternal than a government program. <laughs> well, great. I, I hope I can discuss this with, further, and I hope uh, I can get an invitation to to speak because I am, since I'm the first in Florida history, I'm also the first in U.S. history. There's a certain gravitas behind that. They don't have uh, parent charter schools in the Soviet Union. Uh, I haven't been to the Soviet oh, Union. Okay. I think if I go to a Soviet satellite, Cuba, I'll probably go to Cuba Venezuela. first. Yeah. To find out what they stole from me. Right. Uh, by the way, now that he said that, that was a nice segue. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, this uh, this station was built on on that experience, obviously. But there was another hidden agenda there that was kind of uh, an honor for me. We also lost NBC Radio in Havana to the Castros. Uh, that was a great uncle Your of mine. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I actually uh, honored a lot of my cousins by getting back in the FCC game. Because, you know, I won an FCC uh, lottery, so my cousins are quite proud of this little baby here. So uh, thank you very much for your call, and I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And hopefully we can do something really big. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, There you go. See, I got you an expert in uh, school choice from uh, the Heritage Foundation. I give you a hot dog. If the Dolphins win a game, you get two hot dogs. No, the, the Dolphins will become the first team in NFL history to go one season undefeated and the next and season the, another season defeated. winless. <laughs> we go undefeated and defeated within the same 50 Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you want me to read out loud my letter to Steve Ross as a season no, ticket holder? No, no, no. We know. It was just really, I just couldn't believe it. So maybe, you know, I think that this parent guardianship law is fairly unique in Florida, as you said. It's different from what they're doing in California. What is unique, Ed, is that the Heritage Foundation did not know No, I know, and that's because it's never been used successfully, and I think it wasn't used successfully because the the law itself is a trap. It has been used successfully. I just explained the role at elementary. In Manatee County, what, what city is in Manatee County? What's that close to? Lakeland. La- oh, that, that, okay. Publix is headquartered there. That's an important. Publix. Place. Publix. Publix. No, I, I'm actually so wrong. I'm actually. So I think no, it's I'm important. wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Publix is in Lake County, not Lakeland. Manatee. Yeah, it's in Lake County. Manatee County is in the middle of nowhere. Huh? Swampland. No, Florida I think it's. Uh, quite frankly, I think it's so on the golf course. I think it's good that uh, the Heritage Foundation now knows about this because the Florida statute, as currently drafted, you know when it was passed, is a trap. No, when was it passed? 1996. And it wasn't used until you did it in 2013. But before then, uh, several governors sat on it, yeah, that's including fine. Charles. That's fine. He didn't do nothing about it. He just wanted to steal it from Jeb. But was it but signed he, by he the But he didn't know that he was going to die on a bike later. So he died on an exercise bike. And then Jeb ran in a special uh, election mm-hmm. against his lieutenant governor? Or I was heard, it? Yeah. Uh, it must have been, yeah. No, I don't think she ran. Uh, it was someone else. It okay. was this big burly guy. I forgot his name. Some. Uh... But anyway, that there wasn't used, and because there's a trap in it, that's why they. Uh, oh, they Charles, were hoping. Yeah, they were hoping tra- it was never used. The yeah. trap was that the teachers the union has to approve it. It's now, very important that when you discuss this, that you go straight to the harshest part, which is teachers' veto power right. over parents. That's why who paid the taxes. It. Okay, so it's not only that, but it's also. 
the fact that a lot of people don't realize it's in the law, thank God. And guess who, guess who promulgated so that I could even use it? The oddity of politics. The chameleon, Charlie Chris, is the one who gave me the right to use this law. Well, in a couple Think of weeks, we're that. going to have some uh, a young woman who's running against Charlie Chris in his congressional district near Tampa. Her name is Anna Paulina. Yes. That is awesome. Hopefully she'll show up at the debate with an AR-15. Oh, I hope so. But uh, she'll strap her on her shoulder. She'll, yeah, she'll take away his uh, his fan. That I pay for around. this microphone, and go come try to take it from me with an AR-15 right. strapped yeah. around her back with her Air Force badge on the uh, yep. over. You know, well. So good. We'll see if Heritage wants to do something on this because this is unique in Florida. And unfortunately, I agree with you. everything they want to do. Yeah. In a very large scale, you know what you've heard me say this so many times on our program. Unfortunately, everything they want to do cannot happen until enough parents have taken back schools and a successful school saving surplus. They demand right, but we got to start it. So here's my question they for you: They demand to get rid do you of think the Department that the of Education. Parents of Key Biscayne are freedom loving American enough to rebel against the local school district? Are they no? They are not okay. So we need to find another community. Look what they've done. Where the farmers they've will stand embarrassed and fight themselves. The redcoats. Because, you know, I sit here looking. So is there any I sit here on a pedestal looking really down on a lot of people. But they gave a tremendous example as an affluent community of what not to do. So they scared the Dickens. Has there been a trigger letter fire since 2013 in Dade well, County? So we need to no. find a community where that can be done. Yes. It, it may not be it in It was Dade done. County. Live Oaks, special needs school again. Because their parents don't mess around. And teachers end up forgetting that they're union. And they love their children that are always special needs out of complete uh, unfortunate pity mm-hmm. live oaks uh elementary school where is that in broward they converted as well okay. now they were being cut funded so it was strangle they were being mm-hmm. cut so the parents and teachers say i don't want to lose my job and the is parents like my kids need school special needs well, that that often the parents are are more involved in well not necessarily because okay. in never king cooper they fired the the, the principals with pay they just okay. took them out of the never king cooper situation Ended up putting them back in there three years later after they were humiliated. Many left to other counties because there were four of them. Two were principals. One was a special needs teacher or a professional speech pathologist type person, a graduate student or a graduate. Uh, she, I remember she had a master's degree. She was in the in the original law, uh, litigation. Now, I forgot her name, but it's on the website. The case is called Fernandez Cristobal versus School Board of Miami-Dade County. Her name was Ramirez. And Ramirez all of a sudden just, uh, I don't know, disappeared from the legal. So that means that they wrote her a check and she went on her way. Uh, Fernandez and Cristobal survived one uh, one court, one federal court. Uh, Obama so, judge, yeah. Darren Gales, mentions my abuse in, in his uh, reasoning for this yeah, case to go to employees. court. they're employees. They have no, cha- no, no choice. They're, they're, they're in trouble. Yeah. They lost. So, yeah. So they don't have freedom of speech as employees. They're subordinate to the superintendent. That's like the NFL. If they wanted to, they could tell the players that they have to stop kneeling, you know, stop screwing around, kneeling. And that's what the NBA does. In the NBA, it's a condition to employment that they stand for, for, at attention. And, uh, yeah, because while you're wearing my shirt, you're working right, for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're representing the brand. So the question is, what do I have to say about the United States of America, the greatest country in the world, Whose most conservative, special heritage foundation types don't know this is a direct ballot parent 
trigger law well, in only one of the 50 states. Now they know. Now they know. So we're doing our job. So let's see where they follow so up. So it makes us more concrete here on the Concrete Conservative. We're very concrete. Yes. Now, would you allow your guest to speak? Because I know you're going to blame me for not allowing her to speak. Absolutely. But I'm on the record to wanting her to express herself for the next, until the until the, the phone rings. Okay. Go ahead. Yes, I've been holding back a lot. Well, so you can learn. Yes, um, because I, after graduating from FIU, I went to Washington, D.C., uh, to pursue a certificate in international development at Johns Hopkins. And so I was writing a paper. So how, how old are you now? Stop interrupting, man. She was getting on a no, roll. No, no, I want to ask her I'm 24. I'm 24. So when did you graduate from FIU? Last year. What year was that? 2018. Okay. So you, okay. And you went to uh, Johns Hopkins? In the summer. Okay, great. Right. Um, so I went to Johns Hopkins and I began doing research on the risks of charter schools okay walking in believing that charter schools were the devil because i worked Shh, right believe that because i worked in a public and elementary they school Cruz, they also believe that ted cruz was the devil too no, right he was a conservative in college right 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 but i naively believed that charter schools were wrong right so with the republican party said no we should we shouldn't have uh, charter schools are bad for public schools they're going to shut that? down our public schools the republicans said that no i said that oh, okay i said that and that's what i thought but naively ignorantly and so i went to hopkins i'm like okay i'm going to write this research on why charter schools are not good for our, our uh, districts and what i learned was that charter schools are the best option for our students, for their parents, and even for the cities. Because charter schools bring in money into the community because what attracts people to a neighborhood? Your story was getting awesome. (laughs) We have a caller. We have a caller. This is WSQF 94.5. This is Mac on the Rock with marvelous and victorious Ed Vidal on the Concrete Conservative. 94.5 Blink Radio, Key Biscayne. We have these wonderful... Uh, guests in our studio, but before we introduce you to them, please tell us who you are. This is Krista Kuzminski. I'm Ed's next guest. Oh, you're Ed? You're not my my next guest? Thank you for calling, Krista. Hi. Uh, We were just discussing school choice, and I wanted to bring you in because uh, we wanted you to tell us how to raise conservative millennials, as, and school choice is certainly part of that. And we have two here in the studio with us. Yes, we have two conservative millennials here. <laughs> and they, they've got these incredible smiles, and they don't drink <laughs> a lot of coffee, so they have beautiful smiles, and uh, they're really smiling on you, so it's all you. I met them. I met them. They're wonderful. Fantastic. Go ahead. Give us, tell give us, us your us, secret. Tell us what Ed and I did not do to raise our children. Yeah, back up with back up. 
what they believe but with some with some research with some facts. Okay. But, to just talk about what they you know what they think and what they feel but Krista, I have to stop you right there because I disagree with the first thing you said. You said practice what you preach. What I find is that most parents practice what they preach in the sense that they they work, they go to work, they they went to school, they're responsible parents. And they stay stay married. And they stay married. What I find is that most parents in in my generation, I'm 62, uh, do not preach what they practice. They don't want to preach what they practice, and that's what. Um, well, that was good, Ed. No, really, because like you know that. you you're being a good person. You're you're doing all the right things, but you don't want to preach because you think that's being preachy. You don't want to be forcing, putting pressure on your kids to conform to your bourgeois lifestyle. And uh, there's a, a social science, prominent social scientist at the American. Uh, I forgot his name now, but he got in trouble at, at American uh, Enterprise Institute. No, yeah, American Charles. Uh, and he and he said he says the same thing. Charlie something. Charles. Char, yeah, he says the problem with American parents and upbringing since 1965, when the Great Society got started, is that the parents think they have to be friends with their children, and they don't preach what they're practicing. The parents. That's right, that's true. You see what I'm saying? And I don't mean to to disagree with you because I think you're on the right track. But I just want to make that point. I'm 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 that case. I have two children, ten years apart, with two different moms. But I told them flat Baby out, "Hey, mamas, I'm, right? Huh? Baby mamas? No, that's ghetto. Oh, okay. I'm I'm I'm. I told my kids right off the off the bat because of my circumstances. Hey, I'm not your friend. Don't think for a yeah. second I like you that much unless you come out like I say. You got to whack him into shape. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't Mr. Disciplinarian. Uh, I just didn't have a mom around, and I may, in some cases, thought the mom was antagonistic towards me. I had to assume that because of the situation. Uh, so I just told him flat out, look, um, I'm not going to really teach you much. I'm going to ask you to stand next to me and see for yourself. And if you do it really good, maybe we'll be friends. But I'll be an old guy by then. And they looked at me like, wow, that's kind of harsh. I go, yeah, wait till you see what it's like out there. It's much harsher. And it worked. Uh, one's a, a practicing attorney now. He's 27 years old, and uh, I'm very. They're both great kids. And, I can tell. And my daughter, hopefully, will be the veterinarian she says she wants to be. Uh, I know she's trying to please me because I should have been a veterinarian instead of. A, I ended up being a stumbler, mumbler, first grader who's now a radio host. Uh, but if my daughter becomes a veterinarian, I'm going to be very impressed. But yeah, I gave them something. What I'd say, I I. I preached what I practiced, and uh, they they stood by me and saw, you know, that I'm mouthing off on the radio, which is the last part of this. Yeah, we we know a lot of parents. We we uh, raised our kids in Scarsdale, and we to some extent, and uh, all the all the parents who went to live in Scarsdale, it's a small community, fairly well off, uh, very a lot of focus on the public schools. It's a small seventeen thousand residents, so the public schools are under a microscope, and they really have to perform. And the way they show they perform is by getting kids into top colleges. 
So it's every, funny because Key Biscayne's around seventeen thousand, and you don't feel like it's a small town. Well, but but there's you're a part lot of, of a bigger community of Dade the, County. The test is that do they get kids into the top colleges? And I think a lot of those parents have kids who did, are not going to be able to reproduce their success. And most of them, I would say. And the core reason, and I, I remember Charles Murray at the American Enterprise Institute. He's written a lot of uh, controversial uh, studies. Charles Murray, and he says, and I think the reason for that is that the parents did not preach what they were practicing. These are parents that stayed married. They worked hard. The mother, when she was able to, stayed home and took care of the kids, and they made good money, and they had nice homes in a safe neighborhood with a good public school district, and the kids did not turn out well. And it's because the parents let the the school and the world educate them. Educate yes. them. They they let the world. Well, now take it's worse because now who's really raising your kids? Social is media, the, the laptop and the phone. Social media and the public schools, and that is the key. You know, a lot, and I we saw that we see that we're going to go back to New York in December, and a lot of the kids, uh, they're they're not they have not turned out well. And it's because, and the parents are nice parents. They're still married. They're making good money. Okay, so can we uh, go back to the caller? Absolutely. So, Krista, what do you think? I guess we should put out the disclaimer that raising children is always very challenging. You know, and I think it's important for your kids to see. I mean, and maybe it just comes down to communication, too. You know, discuss why you believe something. You know, why you believe, why you believe in conservative values, why you believe in, you know, like, I remember distinctly a couple years, several years ago, the government was the gubernatorial race. You had to talk to the kids about we're small business owners, and so what does what does a more socialist government really look like for our business? What does that mean for our giving? What does that mean for our ability as a family and our businesses to bring in money? And how does that how does that what does that look like? You know, this is why we believe what we believe, and this is why we're in, you know this is why we want obviously Governor DeSantis to win and not you know, not his opponent. And having those discussions, you know, and so it's, and, and, you know, for kids sometimes, especially in that, that millennial generation where a lot of, you know, a lot of the, a lot of politics now is on social media, you know, sometimes they're like, there's getting to them to peel back those layers of, of the cool stuff and the fun stuff and say, wait, like, this is, this is really how this would affect our family. And this is how it would affect, you know, our church. And this is how it would affect our local communities. This is what it would look like. And having those discussions with them. And, you know, like, we don't agree on all issues. Well, you'll you'll see, don't you see that sometimes they bring home stuff that they just received from a teacher as if it's uh, valid, and man, you've got to be prepared to knock it yeah. knock right. it down right away because you can't let it fester for not even a, two days. Yeah, what, one of the things that's been happening is in the high schools they're reading Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States, which is totally communist propaganda. And uh, only a couple of months ago, we had... Look, our gas is flipping out. Let her speak. That's what she read. There's a new book, and we had the author calling in here in June. His name is Wilfred McClay, Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story. But until this year... Howard Zinn did not have a competitor. He His book was published in 1980. It's been updated. And that's an example of how all this communist propaganda is there in the and high Everything's schools. a picture and a thumbnail and an outline. What yeah. do you have to say about that? Right. So it's crazy. Because well, introduce you. you got to give your name. Yes. So she, my name is Lucia Scaramacchia. I am the conservative next door. She was at the uh, Keep America Red uh, event also, Krista. Yes, I Yes, yeah, so uh, 
I had to read that book. And I remember it just having a total disdain for the United States and showing, okay, this is the real history of the United States that you knew nothing about. And this is how terrible we are, you know? Um, And even yesterday on the flight back from Arizona, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to read an old college textbook that I had on Kindle and it was on politics. And it talked about uh, abortion and it talked so negatively about pro-lifers and Republicans. Oh, because Republicans and pro-lifers, they do not want women to uh, have control over their own body, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, man, this is what they're pushing, not even on elementary, middle, high school, but on college students. Yeah, amazing. So they only get one one part of the argument. Yeah, one track. I mean, just the the number one language narrative for, uh, you know... Or pro-choice is that it's a woman's right, right? Uh, well, if it's for women's rights, what about half of the genders that are aborted are women, all right? Half yeah. the half the fetuses are female, so how can that be a woman's right if the, you're terminating the life of a female fetus? And that right there would flip the whole argument and upside down. Especially in places like India and China, that's what's been happening. Because they have selective abortion. The ultrasounds now are very effective. Uh, you can see at uh, eight weeks, we saw our grandson, and his heart was thumping. So his nickname is Thumper. And and so in India and China, the girls are being aborted. By Mr. Gates himself. Yep. Right. Yeah, because he's, uh, he's sterilizing a lot of people. in uh, His Gates Foundation is very involved in sterilization in India. And this is demonic. Okay, so now... Do both parents have to be of the same political persuasion to pull this off? You know, you know I, I believe so. I believe so. So um, they, they need to be on the same political page to stay together. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know. Political persuasion is kind of a, you know, I think core values. I think if you have the same core values, I think we've come to a point in time, maybe 15 years ago, you didn't have to have the same political persuasion. But I think we've come to a point in time now where it seems like the political parties have different values. And if you don't, I mean, if you're going to, two parents should have the same values. Otherwise, your kids are going to be really, really confused. Plus, plus you're new to your vote. You vote one way, he votes the other, there goes your vote. (laughs) That's exactly, that's exactly right. So now, do you take this outside of your family? Uh, Do you ever have children that are over for dinner and you realize they're total lefties? Do you go ahead and fight the good fight at dinner time or no? Yes, it was. We, you know, we tend to be that that uh, that place where, especially my younger, my nineteen year old, tends to bring bring his friends, and they tend to end up here at some point in time. And we we will discuss with them. I mean, they'll talk they'll talk about things, especially you know, gun rights or or something like that. Or and that seems to be a hot topic with kids like nineteen, twenty, dad, or you know, one way or the other. And we'll explain to them. You know, we, I, I don't argue with them, but we really do have an explain to them. And it's funny how they. Wait, I shouldn't say we explain. Let me take that back for a second. Usually, my first question to anybody, whether it's an adult or a teenager or whomever, is usually, "Well, why do you think that way? You know, what's what's the reason?" And in, and a lot of times, especially with teenagers, they really have sound bites. They don't have true feelings. And when you start to really have a discussion with them about why they feel a certain way, I think they come to a realization sometimes that they really don't feel that way, but they just they just spit it out. And so when you actually involve them in somewhat of a, you know, hey, why do you feel that way? Or what's, you know, what's your reasoning behind that? Or, you know, what's your experience with that? Why, what would make you say that? And a lot of times when they start to examine their own feelings sometimes, they realize 
what they said and what they truly believe, lot of times are two different things. Or just join, or or you're the first person to have them connect dots. That's true. Because a lot of kids spend so much time, basically just saying like, like this, like, like. They start, they start losing what like means because everything's like and the word weird. So my first things that I say to my kids in this house, when you talk to me, you can't say like because you see that on Instagram, and you can't say weird because, quite frankly, I think you're weird. So. And once my kids realize that I think they're weird, they think I'm weird, right? So therefore, we can't use the word weird because it just describes each other. But your your son is older; he's 28. He's a lawyer now, so he's uh, his yeah, language is more was, polished. He was born to a very lefty. And really, I won. She's a reg. He's a registered Republican, and she's still a lefty from Philadelphia. Ah, terrible. So you you got him. All right, good. Way to go. He's a very... Oh, man. And he, when he came home from Penn State, hey, Dad, I survived Penn State. And I go, thank you, my son. You've done a good job. And, you know, he now he's, he practices law, and uh, he doesn't really like uh, the legal system. He finds it very duplicitous yep. and uh, really finds it uh, very, a lot of inequality within the under the mantra of equality, and there's just a lot of... Things that are completely wrong well, with the he, system. He practices domestic law, right? Yeah, the worst type. Yep. Okay, so now, what? Uh, what is there? Uh, do you have any kind of website or blog you want to say to on our show? Because you know, once you participate, you've got free range here. We're like uh, free range chickens here in the, in Blink Radio. So please, anybody who's here, you as well, everyone who's we have a silent guest here that's just you know like the photo op. She's like the press corps. She hasn't asked any questions yet, but uh, by all means, please, uh, if you have websites you want to discuss before we end the interview, by all means, everybody just shout out, except for Ed. He can't say anything. Krista, you have a website, right? Uh, you know, I do. Not a blog, and I don't have a website. That's, that's uh, my, my blog. It's com. It's radio. You have to do that again. Well, fantastic, Doctor Krista. Now, all your are are all your uh, uh, how to say patients, uh, young kids, or are you a doctor in education, doctor of? Yeah, I am a doctor. I, I have a degree in, in doctor in chiropractic. So I'm the acupuncturist and a nutritionist, so I'm a little bit of everything. Oh, okay. All right. So, do you what have do you a lot of Cuban food? There are no vegetables in Cuban cooking. What does chiropractic have to do with Cuban food? That, what is it with nutrition, you? Nutrition, nutrition. Oh, nutrition. I get it. You, that was a good reach there. You, you were setting yourself up. Okay. So in when it comes to acupuncture, I have to assume, and tell me if I'm wrong, you get a lot of lefties in there. Huh? You know, it's really it's very interesting. Come on. A lot of meditation, yeah. a lot of whoa, whoa, false god kind of freakazoids who were just, I mean, I the only acupuncture I went to. And I would have stayed because I was actually, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was fantastic because I had a lot of pain at the time. I, had, I suffered a head injury back in the late 80s. Still suffering. Yeah, I'm still suffering, but it's because of Ed, not because of any other reason. <laughs> um, but I do notice that people who are uh, uh, basically looking for the more holistic approach to medicine are tend to be liberal. Is that is, Has that changed or no? I would so that's a, so that's a, a tribute to you then, because you managed to 
be the uh, basically the anomaly or the what would I call it the outlier. So kudos to you, doctor. Thank you. Wow, very cool. So you straighten them out in a way. <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I do, and then they're shocked to find out when they of course we don't talk politics in, in the office. Um, but then it's funny they'll somehow they'll, they'll make a comment to me and they'll ask me about you know my my political views or you know I'm like no I'm, I'm a conservative and they'll just look at me like really. <laughs> uh, you uh, do they still want they still want an adjustment afterwards or they fear? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, or you twist it to the right instead of to the left. <laughs> okay, well, uh, thank you very much for your call. That was pretty awesome. Thank you, Grissa. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. So we're still uh, we're still on 94.5. No one's taken us off the air yet. That's right, 94.5 FM in Key Biscayne. And uh, here in the Concrete Reserve, we, we are super excited about something that is really important to us, which is the obvious. Having conservatives think about ideas, not about virtues and principles, we've already lost that battle. Like my mother would say, ay mijo, deja eso, el ya ganó, every time she hears the name Fidel Castro. And she's deep in Alzheimer's already. And yet, I'm mouthing off to Cuban doctors or Cuban nurses that come, and they look at us like, like we're the gusanos, you know, who left in the early 60s. And I see the look on their face because of where I live and all that. And uh, my mom is a person who was uh, very involved in the passage of Radio Marti. She was literally front line and center as a founder of the Cuban American Foundation. So any type of politics is really in her core person. So what kind of ideas are you talking about? You uh, you, You say don't focus on virtues or principles. Yes. What I uh, what ideas are you talking about? Well, perfect example. Heritage is obsessed with principle-based agendas, a mm-hmm. lot of studies and all that stuff that they can't get to until parents are in charge of schools who are controlling the purse strings, who are now demanding the repeal of the Department of Education from the federal government. Why? Because we don't need you. Because look what we're doing with what we've got. Yep. Number one, you can't understand that concept. You don't can't understand any concept. Okay? For instance... The border. Everybody talks about a fence. Why does it have to be a fence? The fence is taking forever, and by the time you build it, it's rusted out, and it has to be built again. Trump is a perfect example. All he's done this whole time is repair old fence. Okay? Now, why does it have to be a fence? Why can't it be a train that runs from San Diego to Brownsville? And why can't it move cargo? And why can't it stop and create cities? You have natural gas pipeline down the middle of it. And a natural gas pipeline in it. And guess what? Mexico will pay for that. <laughs> Sorry. I, that just reminded me of uh, when they asked Donald Trump, like, how are you going to make Mexico pay for the wall? And he just says, I will. And the wall Trust just me. got 10 feet higher. And it got 10 feet higher. <laughs> I love that confidence. And I swore when he said that, that he must have saw what I was proposing, because I gave it to Ted Cruz. I was his Uber, and I opened up his office here in Miami. I was very involved in the local campaign here for Ted Cruz for president, and I realized he didn't give a roots about Florida because he knew that the buck stopped here, that Trump was already running us all over. And there was Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, so he wasn't going to invest that much in Florida because he realized it was not a place to spend money. Mm -hmm. But I went through the motions. I opened up the office. I did whatever I could for him. But I gave him that wall, and I told him, if you don't present that wall, you're going to lose to him because he's got a better wall than you. And all he has on his wall is his name. Yeah. If you put a train on yours, you might have a shot at this. 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It won't be finished in your presidency, but you start it. The Hoover Dam wasn't finished under Hoover's presidency. It was finished after his presidency. So people don't want to get it. And the only thing I can do is beg you guys, the younger generation, mm-hmm. to get it. Because us yeah. Republicans caused the problem that you guys are going to have soon. And you better hope to God that conservatives are feeding at the food line when the food line breaks out. And it could easily break out over weapons, over crime, over uh, people stop buying our debt. Because people don't realize when they say we're in debt, we're mm-hmm. in deficit, mm-hmm. and that we all ch- that China owns our debt and Japan owns our debt. That is not true. None of that is true. Each one of them has left in 20% of America's debt. Who owns America's debt? Mm-hmm. The American people. Right. They buy those treasury bills nine to uh, eight to two. For every $2 that China and Japan spend on treasury bills at one point, one percent or one point seven, I think it's up to two now. Well, not even that one seven. It's the American people that are buying huge funds. Huge funds are buying treasury bills. So it's the American people owing, buying a debt of something that they feel will always be paid back to them. And it's security. It's like a bond on the American people. It's a bond on our society, and it's really like dead money, secure dead money. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you guys are being screwed on mm-hmm. up because of what we're doing, because we have no ideas. And Ed, who's a little bit older than me, a little bit, he says it's a little. He said 62 today. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'll just go, I'll just be, you know, this is stereo, this is, you know, FM, so it comes in through both speakers. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. You guys, if you don't save your country with ideas, the left will win on a bad one. You saw Obamacare get passed. It's still yeah. there. And what did our Republicans do? Nothing. It's still there. And so to add to that, the left didn't take away anything from us. We gave it to them. We gave it to them. Okay. And so where were they when the left was destroying our country? You stayed silent. And so evil. That's what I was saying. Preach what you practice. Too many people don't do that. You got to speak up. I think it's more than that because the idea, there's no ideas out there. There's only one person with ideas, enough ideas to completely reinvent the country and he's sitting on a 100-watt radio station, and he can't get any voice louder than that because... Now, we're on the internet, so we're fine. Live stream at wsqfradio.com forward slash live. But for lack of people promoting ideas, specifically mine, I come across as an egomaniac, self-aggrandizement, promoting myself. Right. and That sucks. That's why also I started my YouTube channel, The Conservative Next Door, to encourage the younger generation to not be afraid to speak up because they are censoring the right and oh our ideas, God. saying we are hate speech. Okay, so we are uh, knocking down the gates of hell, this younger conservative generation. And I tell you something, there is hope. I went this past weekend, as I mentioned, to the TPUSA influencer retreat. It was like 100, 150 uh, young conservatives who have a strong voice in the conservative movement. And they encouraged us so much. And they said, look, this is it. This room and our power combined can win back America. You know, we need to use. Who were use... the speakers there? Was Charlie Kirk and who else? It was Charlie Kirk, Rob Smith, uh, directors mm-hmm. from uh, Turning Point USA. They also. Who are the, who are the older gentlemen that are funding from Clearwater? 
who are these guys that he keeps on looking over to that are my age? There's a tall fellow and a more heavyset person. I was dying to speak to them, but I was also dying to speak to Charlie, so I spoke to Charlie, obviously, and they kind of disappeared on me. But they're older gentlemen who obviously are the ones that told him, hey, don't go to college, man. <laughs> Stay doing this. Because right. he's just a, such a natural talent. It's, it's God's gift to America for Charlie to be able to have the kind of recall he has. And Candace, too. They're just over oh, the yeah. top. But I must say, and I need you to tell them as an advocate for these ideas. I spoke to them. I literally held him by the two elbows for a moment because I knew I had maybe five seconds with him. Okay. Driana got me back there. Uh, it was at Nova. It was a campus class. Nice. So I realized they had the adrenaline running, but I had no choice. I, I had DC Drano next to me. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's right there. <laughs> yeah. So I figured he was going to hog up because they already knew him. So I figured this was going to get really exciting really quickly. So I just grabbed him and it said, Charlie, I want you to focus for one second. And, of course, he just got out of this campus class, so I was asking for too much. Really. Campus class, they were having a debate? It's not even a debate. It's him slamming idiots day and night just like ping pong. Bah, okay. bah, bah, bah. But it's a clash because he tells you, hey, if you support us, please sit down. If you don't support us, please go to the microphone. And it starts there. And they're on stools. Good. And it's just an mm-hmm. amphitheater full of lefty kids that they're doing their best to go, what? That's not true. What? That's not true. Did you know this? What? Did you go, no, that, whack. And the kids are just like, Ugh. And then the parents show up of mm-hmm. some of the kids who maybe are too shy to grab the microphone. So the parent speaks on their behalf. Okay. He swats them too. Whack, 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 whack. And I'm just sitting there filming. So he kind of <laughs> sees that I'm the big barely guy in the first row where I can see all this. And I'm trying to make as much eye contact because I'm going to see him later backstage. Well, I told him about, hey, man, you guys don't stand a chance to overcome what my generation did to you. If you don't look into the direct parent parent trigger law that only Florida has, please. And I gave him the card of the book and the uh, the website. He says it again at the uh, Steve Hilton's Parent Revolution on Fox. Each time I've heard his comments live, he hasn't been to my site because he wouldn't make the comments he's making if he had been to my site. Mm-hmm. And he's on a national forum. There is no reason for him not to have gone to my site, having met me face-to-face, mm-hmm. and I Instagram him right when he gets off the show. I just wait as soon as you go to break. Blah! And one time, one out of five, because he had school choice issues mm-hmm. a couple times because Steve Hilton's big on it. Right. And I bet you Steve Hilton does not know there's a direct parent trigger law. It's the number one issue for all of you for the rest of your lives is to get the law amended and spread it to 49 states. Because it's about the money. Mm-hmm. Take hold of the money. Teachers get to stay teachers. They get their pensions in Florida. So you replicate it. The law is written as I want it written. On the website, you mm-hmm. see the existing law and you see my underlines, which is what's put back in there. Mm-hmm. My attorney wrote the underlines, so I'm not going to take credit for the language because I didn't want it to have legal issues. So I let him write it and it's underlined. And he was chairman of the Elections Commission, who I hired to do this because I wanted to threaten make sure that the superintendent... If he doesn't give me the right to vote that day as a first person, that we'd go to court and get the right to vote. He, he saw the writing on the wall mm-hmm. and allowed us to at least vote. Of course, you, the results were terrible. 531 to 31, 83-0 to the teachers. One abstained, or not one abstained, one was an invalid ballot. And I thought that was the most beautiful ballot of the whole election, since I have to count them inside the library there. And they use the whiteboard, you know, the little sticks. Mm-hmm. 
And then I start catching up, right? Because I got 31, right? But they came in bunches, like two 15s. Look, I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Look. <laughs> and everybody's cracking up because I'm getting crushed. You know, 531 to 31, there was like two bunches of like 10 and 12. Look, look, look. Oh, my God. 531 parents? 531 to 31. It was how much I lost. And parents. 531 parents. 31 parents agreed okay. with me. 531 disagreed with me. And they really regretted it because now they realize they're screwed. And the school is not only overcrowded, but our city really blew it because they allowed the county to put 6th, 7th, and 8th where there were 6th, 7th, and 8th here. They put it in the new school, in the high school. Now nobody can get in there because it's a magnet school. So you have to come in through 5th grade. So you don't buy houses here anymore. And now there's so many houses for sale. It's not even funny. And everybody says the obvious, that it's not the school, that it's the economy, that it's Venezuela. That's not it. It's the damn school because you can't buy a house expensive these houses are. You think about it if you can, if you're going to get a kick-ass, and I can say ass out here because it's yeah. a mule, uh, <laughs> you can do kick-ass and mast and not have to go to Ransom, Belen, or LaSalle. That's how it works in New York. You buy in your community, like in Scarsdale or Rye or Larchmont, and then you get to use that school district K-12. to And you don't have to go to private school. Right. Now, since you can't get in there because the waiting lists are enormous, you mm-hmm. literally got to get lucky that kid, some kid gets thrown out for academics or for disciplinary, and you happen to be the next kid in the in the waiting list. Yeah, it's the saddest can. thing. Yeah. And there's no turning back now because there will never be another me. No one's going to go do that. And, and I found one other person to do it with because mm-hmm. I found a vice president who ran with me mm-hmm. to do it with me. And he doesn't even live on the island anymore because he had a, 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 a terrible experience with the, the parents. I think mine was worse, but nevertheless, he's no longer on the key. So what I'm saying is, without doing that, without taking back to school, you can tell Charlie, you can tell Rina, who's promised me a conversation with Charlie that's never happened. As you can see, a, a huge organization didn't even know it existed. Right. This is serious. All right. Well, we're and getting the word guys, out. We're getting the word out. It's very serious that a country of this size has one state that has taken 13 years to have one person use it, and now I've done more damage to my state for lack of amending this law. Roulette is a perfect example where why should we give you our rights? It worked in a roulette. The teachers supported the parents. Maybe your argument wasn't good enough. As if the five people with breast cancer isn't enough. Because mm-hmm. everybody's obsessed with curriculum as they are. You can't get to curriculum if you don't take the money to buy the book that changes the curriculum. They want to around the edges. There's a, mm-hmm. other people in Florida I've spoken to. They're all dancing around this curriculum thing. You're not getting there. Reading the guys, the, the guys who, Mister, what's his name with the textbook? Yeah, he didn't have competition have for next, how long? We're going to have him on next Monday. The the new textbook. That's McClary. Uh, the new textbook or the old textbook guy? The new guy. The new textbook is McClay. McClay, who yeah. we've met already. Yes, we've. And you're going to have him again. Yeah. Okay. I want you to get the guy who you know, who McClay should sh- shadow box. These issues. If you keep on going around the edges, the bad the bad idea will win. The bad idea is the easiest easiest to pass because it's a bad idea, and most people have bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Therefore, bad ideas become law. Mm-hmm. Social security was a great idea. No, it wasn't. Go to YouTube and watch FDR give speeches about social security, and go and listen to Republicans what they said against social security, and it still applies today. And yet, it's law. All that social security money, including Ed's social security money. Just at 5% since he started putting it. Multi-millionaire today. Instead, he's getting a cruddy little 1200 bucks a month. Sad thing, and it's law. And it's 50% of the debt that 
we gave you. Well, he gave you. That wasn't around for Social Security. He was. Ed, weren't you like 20 years old in 1935? <laughs> no, that was 1935. I oh, was, yeah. so we're back to 62. We're back to the 62. <laughs> you know what I mean? Save yourselves with good ideas. Here's another fantastic one for your show. We don't have any more callers today, right? No, we don't. Oh, so I can just rant. But she's going to tell us about herself. No, she really told me that she's the conservative next door. <laughs> I've been humbled. Go ahead. You have the floor. <laughs> No, that's that's fine. But I wanted to comment on. Um, Are you going to come back over and over and over again? I would love to. You have I her would own love show. to. One thing we didn't give her was water. We usually do the water thing. Yes, here. I was going to say I'm a little bit thirsty. Yes, so thank you. I wanted to comment on Charlie though, uh, because thank you. He works extremely hard. Mm-hmm. When I saw him in Arizona, he looked exhausted. Yes. Okay. I mean, meeting- so imagine all these exhaustion. And he's now 30 years old and married with like five children and he's no longer doing this. And the schools are still not reinvented. Right. And that's why he is pushing to rise up younger conservatives that would have a strong voice. And guess what? I I might have to be stand corrected ultimately that maybe school would not ever, he won't broach it. He'd just create more conservatives and helping one of them become this person. But I'm 54. I can't keep on sounding off like this. Sooner or later, I'll start sounding like Ed, and then after that, I'll start. It'll be, it'll be obvious that I got dementia. So I'm not going to be here much longer. I, you know, I'm 54 already, and this is the most I'm going to do. I'm going to end up handing this off eventually. Mm-hmm. But if you guys don't save and reinvent, I'm not about reform. There ain't no such thing as a reform here. Yeah. Uh, go go to my um, go to my website which is the Parent Guardianship School, but it's actually a chapter in a much bigger book called The Fiscals, which is where the Great Wall of Will is. Um, you know, when I first started writing the book, to change the subject a little bit, uh, one soldier was killing himself every day. Now it turns out that I got to go back to my book and put... 20. 22. So they were lying to me the whole time. It's not like it went to 20. It was always 20. They were saying one and two, one and two. So imagine if I'm being lied to... It's your, it's your generation that's shooting themselves in the head. What are you going to do about it? You think you're going to reform the Veterans Administration? Don't you have a better idea? Okay, here's a better idea. How about by just attacking Cuba from the standpoint of them not controlling their waterborne diseases, cholera and dengue, already recognized by the CDC, how about giving you a full authority to take Guantanamo and turn it into the greatest rest and recreation facility veterans will ever know, consistent and competitive to the Houston Medical Center. Now, if you're an edge generation of bad ideas, you go like that. And your generation could redevelop that in the most state-of-the-art medical facility that tomorrow's children will want to fight for. All right, so let me ask you. Why don't you tell us? You're on YouTube and how many? How long have you been doing YouTube? I've been doing YouTube for about a month and a half now. A month and a half. So yeah. what kind of topics do you have? And how often do you do these shows? Tell us about that. Every week. Every right? week. So every Once s- a week or all five days? So no. twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week. So Sunday. How long is each show? Oh, it depends on the topic. For okay. instance, uh, yesterday I talked about Brett Kavanaugh. And so it was about like Great idea. 12 minutes. You know. Okay. Uh, and you have like this little setup at your home? I do. I cool. do. I have a very little cool. studio. You're also welcome home. to do it here. Thank you. Thank That'd be you. very cool. You can have a, a program. And it has to stand outside, though. It has no, to I don't. <laughs> it's 
I don't want to hear his head going like that. I don't know. Who. Yeah, so uh, did the studio at my house, and Alejandra, who's here, she does an incredible job at editing. She's exposed. Me. You've She's been exposed. vetted. She's been exposed. Uh, but she believed in me because I would always go on Instagram and I'd start mm-hmm. ranting. And I wanted to start a YouTube channel so bad to get these ideas out there. Just didn't know how. Just seemed all confusing to me. But she knew how. Well, it. Dennis Prager is getting censored. So what kind of uh, treatment have you been getting? Not yet. For well, actually, one of the interviews that I did uh, with the Two Classy Gentlemen podcast, we we spoke about uh, Two Classy Gentlemen. Is that yeah? A podcast? That's okay. a podcast. They're on Instagram uh, and YouTube, and so we spoke about the vape ban and also 9-11 because it happened to be during that week right so we spoke about that and got really deep into the conversation and that conversation got censored by youtube hmm. so that was the first interview that i was a part of that got censored so how do you, far, how'd you know how'd you know that was true well he told me because if you put uh, youtube on restricted mode and you try to find the video you can't watch it because it's so Censored. what's your, your name? The tag name is the conservative next door, right? The conservative next door. But wait a second, I need to learn this thing. So, when you do it, you you put it on restricted mode from the get go. You did that? No, 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 no. Let's say someone puts restricted mode on their YouTube, then YouTube will censor certain videos from that per- for that person. For that person. If that person wants restricted mode. If you don't want restricted mode, then nothing is censored, right? You can watch whatever. In other words, your audience censors themselves. They don't want to hear your... Correct. They censor them, but they don't know what material... They don't know what material YouTube qualifies as being censored. So why do they do it? Oh, but okay, but that's also self-censorship. Yeah. Like for me, nobody even sees my stuff. Nobody subscribes. I have 300 videos. Mm-hmm. 300. Mm-hmm. On YouTube? Yes. Okay. Okay, I have a really robust, of course, it's my generation. I'm an angry old man who's trying to save the, What's the, the children. What's the name of your uh, Mac on the program. Rock Rampage. Okay. And what I do often, and I believe I'm a pioneer in this, it's very hard for me to say, again, for lack of advocacy on my behalf, I come across as the egomaniac throwing flowers on himself all the time. And that's, I have no other choice. Either I say what I'm doing or I don't say anything at all. And what, uh, I'm here and not there. What I do, I have a very large TV at home. Yeah. Huge. 85 inches. So naturally on a, uh, my phone, on a tripod, I can go and watch the regular news. Then I edit them down and I'm commenting, you're lying! And I'm saying it. <laughs> and I'm seeing people doing it all the time. I see it now. And I swear to you, there was nobody doing it when I was doing it. Because I didn't have a choice. And I just wanted to fill stuff up. Like once, Ted Cruz, he's talking about the border wall. And I would say, Ted, that's not true. I told you otherwise. Then I'm talking to the TV. And guess what? People are starting to do it now. Okay, but now I'm also editing yeah. from it. I bring in, you know, the iMovie allows me to do all kinds of cool stuff. Right. Plus She's my pr- incredible at that. You're good at iMovie, right? Alejandra is incredible. Yeah. I go to media school to learn the other one, uh, the uh, window version. What's it called? Uh, yeah, yeah. What the hell did I they, 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 I spent 18 grand on that crap, and I said, wait a minute, my fingers and my phone, I'm much better at all this stuff. And I just couldn't believe how much money I wasted at the Miami Media School when I could do better on my phone by just doing this by myself. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, Miami Media School was a cool experience. I, I met really cool people there. especially just a disclaimer. Yeah, I'm, I was the old man in the room, and it was kind of hilarious to be with a young bunch Would of young people. Would you recommend that she go? 
I believe that she doesn't have to do anything except for talk, talk, talk. She's got a perfect voice. Thank you. Very clear voice. Very, very cool. And no like. I haven't heard any likes. No, no. You don't use likes. No. <laughs> no. Are you going to credit John Hopkins or FIU for eliminating the likes? Really, FIU. FIU. It's really cool to meet someone without the likes. Okay, it's very hard to see people of your generation. You don't like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like I don't know, I don't think I want to really be too loud and obnoxious because it's like, you know, and I'm like, oh, my like. You know, I think there's a time and place for everything. And so I But you never I, had a like problem. I don't have to be saying like, like this, like that. No, I can articulate my sentences correctly. Okay, but because let's say you always like that. Right. No, no. You had, you had a like stage? I had a like problem. Oh, you did, so you overcame it. I overcame the like problem, but sometimes when I'm with my girlfriends, it come, it surfaces. It surfaces. You start talking like them. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, the way my... That's why she's filming. Okay. Yeah. No. She... Put her on record. <laughs> Wait a minute. You can start talking now. Go ahead. Disclose that we have the no, ghost. The no, ghost no, will be speaking. Come on, Casper. Go ahead. Uh, I call myself a creative director. Uh, <laughs> I do her videos uh, for YouTube. I edit them, and I'm her best friend. And her. Son. And you sound so sweet. Yeah, she's my sorority sister too. We met in a sorority. Yeah. Wow, this At is FIU. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is really cool because I went to FIU and there was nobody there when I went there, so I just oh. decided not to finish my classes and just walk away and just drop out of another college. So. Uh, yeah, at FIU, there was just the, uh, what's that little bar you guys have, that, that building there? GC. The old building? Graham Center. Is that what no, it's called? No, that sounds too big. No, it's fairly this small. This was in 1984. Yeah, Ed. Primera Casa, which was the first building. Primera Casa. Oh, that probably makes sense. Yeah, yeah it, was, it had a pit in it. You went it's to the right and to the left. There, The bookstore was right there, too. That's right. Primera Casa, yeah. Yeah, and now, you know, last time I was there to, to hear someone speak, I go, this is a university, man. It's awesome. When I ran for, I ran for senator at large at FIU. And in order to get that position, I had to debate. I was so scared to debate. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say, you know? And my sorority sisters helped me out with that. So I thank my sorority for a lot of things. And I became senator. And while I was senator of FIU, actually, that's when we were voting on whether or not we should have transgender bathrooms or I, I i don't even know what to call it okay but the it, it, yes in my car there's a sticker from houston no men in women's bathrooms but of course in 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 houston the most of the women are armed so any men that went in there would get you would shot. hear you would hear the pack pack right right so i remember that day that we had to vote on that and i was one of maybe three other senators who <clears throat> said no on record and it passed and now they have the gender neutral but i mean completely ridiculous completely do ridiculous. girls feel comfortable going in there or no i wouldn't i went to my you know designated oh but they kept they, they, they kept the male and a female bathroom they kept Some, male female and then whatever you choose to they didn't call it transgender they called it huh? whatever you identify as just completely Ridiculous. Well, I, I, in college, we had I, w I lived in a men's dorm, but we had uh, clearly spelled out in the in the bathrooms that women were welcome to come to our <laughs> bathrooms at any time. Yeah, the and male and female dorm. I went to the University of Maryland, and uh, 
you know, the male and female dorms, but some dorms, the really huge ones, only had a dividing wall between men on that side and women on the other. There was a swinging door there, man. I don't mm-hmm. think there was much difference. I mean, so what? Men on that side and women on this side, but, you know, it was more men in, on the female side than ever before. So what the hell? And I think it's, I know that in Europe, uh, you know, the, the public bathrooms are pretty exposed. They're not, they don't have cubicles like we do. They don't have stalls like we do. It's just toilets and women bent, bent like men, and men are are peeing in a gutter. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, they have unisex bathrooms in the. But it's also because of lack of building, lack right. of modern right. buildings. But let's also take it a step further. Not even bathrooms. Now we're talking about sports, women's well, that's sports, ridiculous. right? That's and now so and now we're talking thing. about uh, Boy Scouts. That by the way, they're they're, they're, going out they're no longer Boy Scouts because. They're Women can right. join, even though there's there's Girl Scouts. They're, they're scouted. Um, and the dictionary is it Web Webster Dictionary? Yeah. Yeah. They decided that they were going to write a new definition for the word they. So if now you it's look hey. at well, but, no, no, no. Now they oh, means any. Well, you know, oh, if you're gender fluid. Right. A lot of times, in uh, for example, in LinkedIn and in other business cards, yeah. people say, "What are your pronouns?" And I always say, "He, him, his." And, you know, but you could have whatever you want. Well, in my book, that's called the progressive virus. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's a political bipolar disorder where someone convinces someone else to be a director of someone else's destiny and find it very entertaining mm-hmm. to create a world of their liking, not understanding that we all have a different perception of what our liking is. So it becomes a complete bipolar disorder that in the end of it drives down a birth rate of a self-reliant class of people that are needed to fund programs that they advocated for earlier. Like who among you all with the amount of abortion skyrocketing and amount of No, abortions divorce- are down. Huh? Abortions are down. You know why abortions are down? Because Planned Parenthood They're not getting pregnant. Women are not Women are not getting pregnant. Yes. Because yes. they don't know if they're women. And so this is... Um, and there so, you go. That's a slam dunk. And so... Touché. Here's what's going on in a Christian perspective. You're not aborting okay? if you're not getting pregnant. That's a misnomer. Yeah. And for you to repeat that undermines the argument. Because the reason why abortion is down is because less women are getting even pregnant. Right. Because confusion. And so we have Satan, the enemy, who's the author of confusion. If he can convince you, hey, are you really a female? She's a real Christian. Uh, so are you really a female? Did God really say, you know, he made them male and female? And so if Satan can just convince you enough to question yourself, I mean, that's it. What was God's first commandment to us? Go out and procreate, popu- procreate right? And multiply, right? But how can you do that when you're confused? You're confused about your sexual identity. You're confused about your gender identity. It's all confusion. Okay. Yeah, the party that of re- chaos. Exactly. The party of chaos. All which is, in the amazing. chaos, it's too many directors, not enough actors, and terribly written screenplay. Right. Right? Because most films that fail were, were fail from the get-go because the script, the screenplay sucked. And somebody who wanted to be a director of someone else's destiny went ahead and made the movie knowing the screenplay sucked. Why? Because the audience sucked, too. And they, per- and they perceived that their audience sucked. They want to just make money. Mm-hmm. The average B, C movie. They don't care what the screenplay is because they're going to fill it in with animations and special so, effects. Lucia, you were. Um, uh, I, I noticed that the uh, Keep uh, Florida Red uh, conference 
you were uh, very outspoken on Christian issues. So uh, how, how did you become a Christian? So I became a Christian, believe it or not, got baptized this year. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I have I have a sound effects for that. Yes. So that, are you a Roman Catholic? Here's the sound No, effect. I'm a Baptist. There you go. Oh, All my right. God. That is just Southern Baptist. Wait Where a second. Time out. Shh. Standing ovation. When I was 18, I got dunked in water in a church that preached a prosperity gospel. Right. Wow. So, Joel Osteen. My wife and I had been to that in Houston. Joel yeah. Osteen. In, uh, in Miami? In Miami. Okay. Yeah, so the T.D. Jakes of the world. I mean, great motivational speakers. Don't right. get me wrong. But do they preach the gospel? No. No. Um, and so since the time I was 18 until 23, I wouldn't say that I was a Christian. I wouldn't say that I lived my well, life. Wait, were you a Roman Catholic before that, being Italian? No. And, no, yeah. I thought I was Christian. But believe it or not, my dad was extremely upset that I did not become a Roman Catholic or Catholic because I am Italian. So right. he's Italian. I was born in I Italy. I agree with him. Yeah, 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 he's like, you need to be a Catholic. And he didn't show up to my baptism. Whoa. Yeah, he was. I mean, even this well, year. We're almost commanded to do that. Yeah. yeah. Forget it. Yeah. And uh, so when I was going through a rough time in, in 2017, I finally realized the true gospel and what it really means and what Christ, why Christ died on the cross, right? And the whole entire Bible is not about us. It's about him, about mm. his love story for us, yes. right? And I decided, wow, there's there's something com- completely different than being a Christian and then being a Christian that lives a surrendered life, okay? Not a committed life. I'm talking surrendered, that you obey God's word and you believe Obedience and sacrifice. Obedience, and that's God's love language. So where do you go to church? I go to Kendall Baptist Church, and I found Kendall Baptist uh, through Capitol Hill Baptist Church, because while I was sitting at Hopkins, I went to Capitol Hill wow. with Pastor Mark Dever, and even Mike Pence uh, would show up from time that's to time. That's not surprising. Yeah, and uh, I remember one day going to Capitol Hill, and there was security there. I'm like, oh, man, you know, we've reached a point where now we have to get checked before going to church, but they're like, no, the vice president's here. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, this is insane. Um, so I learned about Kendall Baptist through... Capitol Hill, and I absolutely love my church. I mean, solid Christians, Christians that Fine take Americans. the time to disciple you, okay? And if I might add, our Christians need to step up. Christians need to stop being quiet, okay? Well, because that's what I said, breach what you practice. Right, and our our younger generation... They don't. They don't know what to believe. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to. Yeah, how spread to, the good word how for to Christ's read sake. The, because they don't know what the word says. Yeah, but then. Where's the older generation discipling us? Because we need a Paul to our Timothy. Okay. And by God's grace, I have a Paul to my Timothy. She right now is in London, but she taught me how to read the Bible. Okay. It's a lot of fun. How to, how to break it down. If you get, if you're in a group, a Bible group where someone takes the lead, the leader position. Right. And allows you to decipher what you're reading and opines after you decipher what you read in order to correct you if you're wrong. Then it becomes fun and fluid because, right. you know, you have to deal with Aramaic, which was originally written in. And right. then all these translations since then you have to emphasize in your Bible studies. And I, I imagine tell me the Baptists do this more than the that us Catholics do. We obviously are clinged way too much to the New Testament without reference to the old. Mm-hmm. We just almost disregard the old. Oh, no. I haven't heard the old since catechism when I was a kid. So. That's what annoyed me about Catholics, lack of ideas. 
Uh, yes. Okay. And so because we're just beating ourselves down on almost too much penance for the freaking zoids that we are, because we're a church of sinners. Man, we beat ourselves down, and the poor priests can't get out of that. Now, this is a flaw with the other Protestant churches that, as a Catholic, I will say as a disclaimer, you all are much more surrounded around a great idea, which is entertainment around the Word, making it a desirable thing to get up, shave, shower, and go to church. I go to a church where we have... uh Music, rock band, rock music, right. right. That, that for me, is not completely no-no. We sing hymns in <laughs> a Baptist church. Where's Mr. Klauser? Klausner? Uh, are you expecting this call? He must be one of your creditors. <laughs> well, guess what? Um, welcome him, WSQF. Uh, WSQF, <laughs> Blink Radio, would you like to opine on our subject matter? <laughs> well, this is a, a new hour. Oh, that's right. Oh, Guess he what? He forgot completely. Oh, completely. You know what? We Since, since we have millennials here, we have a show At called seven. Statues and Stories, but I only ha- I have like two minutes to seven. You, are you right on the money? What, so, what time do you have? It's a little early. It's uh, right. About a minute or so to go. Oh, all right. So so then you're in timeout. <laughs> you're in timeout, Adam. For a moment there, I said, Adam, oh, my God. I can't wait to get on the air. Adam, you're you're very cool. Thank you very much for calling. Because we would have this actually was getting ready to do a Catholic Protestant rant that could have lasted <laughs> like twenty minutes. And since we have two millennials, but we have him outnumbered here. I don't know about Alejandro. No, but... man, Adam's a fantastic uh, a Jewish guy. At least, yeah. a, at least but, you recognize Jesus. Adam, as... Adam is a candidate for sainthood because he's helping you on all this stuff. Yeah, really. Just don't call me the Antichrist, okay? Because that's what the left calls me. So. Um, uh, Adam, so you want to stay on uh, as we end this show? Absolutely. I'll be waiting in the wings. Yeah, let's do waiting it. Waiting in the wings. Music. Okay. So, wait, we have now. Uh, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy to say that since you got something you want to say, you're going to have to come back. I'm going to have to come back. Because so it's pretty that's... cool in here, right? Yes, I love it. We can talk for hours. But on who do you end. like more, Ed or me? Both of you. Oh, man. Equally. Come on. But well, I gotta say, because of the hat, it's the hat, okay. And it was a little exchange he had before the show started. I'm like, wow, this guy's this guy's this guy's cool. Top. This guy's badass. Whoa. I can say the word. Ass you can say the badass, yeah, man. <laughs> okay. All right, so this is the end of our show. We had a great show today. Thank you very much for calling. Thank all our callers. I think it's really cool. And our guests, you got to follow up with Heritage. Uh, let's see. If they actually allow me to speak to them. Yep. Because since I don't have a PhD, perhaps I'm unqualified. PhD, <gasps> PhD, no PhD will fire a trigger letter and face the crowd and do with it. So, this is the end of the Concrete Conservative Show. So, I'd like to thank everybody for calling WSQF 94.5. And you know what I always say? Stay free, my friends. Back in a moment, we're going to be listening to Hart. Because he's crazy on you. So, here we go. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.